0: Blue Lion. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers.
1: Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams
0: for the win. There Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. As always, I am your host, Justin Russo. And joining me on this glorious evening as we reminisce about opening night for the Clippers against the Lakers and the Lakers' second game of the season, which came against the Clippers, is Jacob Rood. Jacob, what's going on, man? How's life over at uh, Silver Screen and Roll? How's how's life uh, in your neck of the woods?
1: Uh, As entertaining, exciting, drama-filled as it ever is with the Lakers, um, it is... It took all of two games for um, everybody to be entirely done with this roster, and um, which is even quicker than I, w- I would have anticipated. But uh, somehow the, the game to the Clippers, even though it was a loss, that they trailed big during stretches of it, was a better showing than they had in the um, first game against the Warriors. So baby steps, I guess.
0: Listen, It's not wins and losses, it's wins and lessons. You know what I'm saying? Wisdoms and lessons. See, I like that. Look, we've already cracked the code. Basketball has been solved. Back up, nerds, we got this. Um, But as far as the game goes, the final score was 103-97 in favor of the Clippers. Uh, But we're going to toss the final score out. And and we're not really going to focus on the final score aspect of this. We're just going to talk about the game in general. As far as the Lakers are concerned, um, obviously this was my first time seeing them this this season. I didn't watch much of their opening night against the Warriors um, because ring night is always a weird game for me to watch because there's a scheduled tip-off time and it's like 45 minutes after that. And I I just, I don't have the patience to wait around for that. (laughs) But, But from what I saw, strictly in this game, I don't think the Lakers have bad process like they're zero two, but I don't think there's bad process there, which I, I also think doesn't make them a bad team. I think most bad teams it's bad talent or I shouldn't say bad talent. It's ill-fitting talent with ill-fitting coaching and the process is bad. I don't think the process of this team is bad. I don't think the coaching is bad. I don't think quite a few of the players are ill-fitting It's just, um, it's not cohesive yet. And I think down the line, it can be cohesive. And as far as this game is concerned, they were nine of 45 from three. I know they didn't shoot well in their season opener against golden state, but for me personally, I thought a lot of the threes they got were pretty good. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah. So I don't disagree. And there's a number of stats that you can look at in terms of the process. I, I've largely been actually pretty optimistic about the process that the Lakers have had. Uh, if you look, they are in the fifth percentile in frequency of corner threes, for example, uh, fifth percentile in just frequency of three pointers. Uh, Which is good c- by the
0: way, for, for people who don't know, like that's a high frequency in the NBA.
1: Yeah. And They've cut out a lot of the mid-range jumpers, which uh, was a thing that occurred a lot under Frank Vogel, uh, especially from LeBron and AD. Um, They've cut cut down a lot of those, and everything is either at the rim or at the three-point line, which is what he was preaching all through preseason. So I think there is a good process there that they're building upon. I mean, ultimately playing the defending champions and the odds-on favorites for the West this season was about as brutal as a start as you could have asked for for the Lakers, especially for a Lakers team that has no cohesiveness, a, a complete roster turnover with a new coach, basically. So um, it was going to be a daunting test. The Lakers are going to... I mean, it's not going to get any easier. The Lakers are going to continue taking some lumps here they have the blazers on sunday but uh it they have the nuggets a couple times coming up like it's not going to be any easier for this team but ultimately it's hard to like moral victories aren't something you ever really want especially with lebron and ad on the team but like i think there are positives to build on moving forward it's just Lakers fans don't really have a lot of patience in in, uh, waiting on kind of the process to build and lead to results. Um, So they really need to win on Sunday against Portland because then it's Denver, Minnesota, Denver, New Orleans is their next four games. So for, for those who dislike the Lakers and like seeing them lose, this could be a very plentiful start to the season.
0: Yeah, they're opening like 10 games or just <laughs> the NBA didn't do many favors from that point of view. But also to your point, um, their 30th, this is from Cleaning the Glass, their 30th in effective field goal percentage. And I understand we're talking extremely small sample sizes. Most teams have only played one game so far, but they're mm-hmm. th- dead last in effective field goal percentage, but they're seventh in location effective field goal percentage, which basically means this is kind of what the league average would be for shots in the zones that the Lakers are taking them in, which means they're taking high, 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 high quality shots. They're just not making them at least so far, you know, they're 12th in rim frequency. They're like, as you mentioned, they're fifth in three point frequency, which makes a lot of sense uh, specifically for Darvin ham because the Milwaukee bucks, Essentially, that's what they do. They don't take a lot of mid-range jumpers. They're primarily at the rim and at three, especially because you know Giannis puts insane rim pressure uh on opposing defenses, and then we'll just kick out for three. Which you know, lo and behold, that's basically what LeBron does at this stage of his career and always has. So you know, it, it makes sense that Darvin's t- that the Lakers are doing this under Darvin. Um, it's I, I guess we need to talk about Westbrook because everyone is talking about Westbrook. I know people actually before I get to Westbrook, I want to mention one thing in Darwin's pregame presser. He was asked about the opening night game against golden state and the, and and their, and their three point shooting in that game. And he brought up the QSQ metric, which for people who don't know that's quantified shot quality. Yes. It's a nerdy stat. It's from the shot quality uh, data set. Basically says, this is the quality of shot that you got. Uh, based on shooter defender distance where the shot location came from the like all like the def- um who the defender is as well like all these things are quantified in this and he said on opening night of the four teams that played on, on tuesday night the lakers had the highest uh quantified shot quality which means they are getting good shots so like we've talked about the lakers process and it's been great it just hasn't yielded anything yet in terms of wins uh for the team but Going to the next page, which is Russell Westbrook. A lot of people are going to focus, and I understand why, on his 0 of 11 shooting, 0 of 6 from 3. At one point in the fourth quarter, he turned down a wide open 3 and went at Iviza Zubots at the rim, then basically brought the ball back out, passed up another open 3 in the same possession, and then get blocked by Zub on a step-back mid-range jumper. And at that point, you were just like, this guy's confidence is broken on the offensive end. But I thought Westbrook actually played a really good game as long as you didn't look at the O of 11 shooting. And I think that has to be the overarching takeaway with him is there's going to be some warts, but at other times he can give you other things,
1: right? In theory, on certain nights. I I mean, I have greater concern about that kind of specific sequence with Zubats in that If it's the same one I'm thinking of, I mean, Zubats was not closing out to Russ at all, uh, nor should he. And Zoo kind of made the mistake of taking a step or two to close out just out of instinct and previous versions of Russ um, just blow by him and get to the rim. The current version of Russ just physically doesn't have that in him anymore. He can't blow by A bigger defender and get to the rim and for a guy that I don't that that's not a a confidence thing that's a physically cannot do it anymore type of thing and for a guy who had has so much of his game predicated on just incredible athleticism and explosiveness when that starts to go it's really bad and so while it's kind of a a catch twenty two of sorts, I guess. I, I I don't even really know. in that, yeah, he was really bad offensively. Like, anytime uh, he's shooting, I think it was six three pointers. It's not going to go well. Like Russ, even at his best, isn't you don't want him shooting threes. Um, he did play really good defensively, really good against Kawhi Leonard. the The way the Lakers are constructed and play there's typically three guards out there uh, with LeBron and AD to close games. And so somebody has to guard up basically um, the reports in the early in the season where that Pat Bev was going to be that guy to, to guard wings. Physically Russ has the size to do that and has done it at times. I, I know I recall a game against the Celtics where he defended Jason Tatum really well uh, in Staples center. He's able to do it at times, but that caveat always exists. It's that at times he just never commits himself to that end of the floor. It's something Darvin Ham said he was going to harp on in the preseason and that he wanted Russ to be a pit bull was the word he used on defense. He wasn't that in the first game. He wasn't that for most of the preseason. He was that to close the game against the Clippers like he defended Kawhi really well uh, about as well as anybody on the Lakers has in however many years he's been there Um, outside of maybe LeBron and kind of the bigger games but there is some positives there it's just with Russ like these types of moments kind of come and go and I don't really trust them at this point like I I this is somewhat related, but I, I vividly recall a game last season in which uh, there was all the talk about how he just does not ever screen. He doesn't, and that's what LeBron always does well with point guards. And there was a random game, I think against Memphis, where they closed the game with him screening for LeBron like a half dozen times. And it was like, oh, this is a thing. Like, it worked really well. And then he only did it like 12 more times the rest of the entire season after that. So like he has these moments where like he does these things that are like, oh, that's really good. That could be something. And then he just reverts to what he's known and what he's known and what he's capable of doing at this point in his career, are two very different things. Now, obviously, m- like mentally, confidence wise, whatever, Russ is pretty beaten down right now. And in a vacuum, like the Lakers just move on from him because it doesn't work for either person. The Lakers are not moving on. They are being adamant that they're being patient in the trade deadline. So the result is that this is just going to exist as is. You would hope that defense is something that would would stay because the Lakers have no wing defenders like Russ could be that guy and it would increase his value significantly to this team. But he's going to have to do it a lot more times for me to believe in it before uh, I get fooled again.
0: I, I guess in terms of talking about the guards on the Lakers uh, one last note on them, I guess is we should talk about Patrick Beverly because you know, he is a former Clipper. He talks all the time. Uh, he was miked up in this game. I watched the Brock. I got home from the arena at two in the morning last night and I'm, I'm still exhausted. Um, but I, I did rewatch the game. I actually rewatched it twice cause I fell asleep the first time I went to rewatch it at night after I got home, but I rewatched it today and there was like the mic'd up segment with Pat and it was really cool just to hear him trying to like hype the guys up, tell them what they need to do, etc. Um, w- real quick, and then we'll move to the Clippers portion of this, but what have you made? Obviously it's two games, but he was obviously playing the preseason. What have you made of Pat so far? Um, Maybe maybe not even just on the floor per se, but like just in total.
1: Well, I mean, it's things that you guys saw all the time. He's the perfect teammate. Um, He's done all he could, all he can to kind of help prop up Russ and, and give, instill any sort of confidence into him. It's that type of stuff. Like he... He's doing all he can. He brings a certain intensity to the Lakers that they've lacked, especially last season. And so that's been particularly helpful more than anything um, statistically or anything like that. And there is a certain level of leadership. I know the video kind of went viral of him trying to pull the team together and Russ not being there I am willing to say that Russ was talking to the coaches and like it was taken a bit out of context but like him just doing those types of things trying to pull the team together and talk to him there were there weren't guys on the Lakers that would do that because everybody just kind of looks at LeBron and AD as the kind of untouchables and that's not the way Patrick Beverly operates. So he's, he'll call out those types of guys. And there haven't been any moments like that, or at least those that we've heard of, but um, accountability, I guess is the biggest thing he brings. Now he struggled as much as anybody shooting the ball. It's, it's a weird kind of dynamic with the Lakers. Uh, Cause he is obviously a, Average, maybe slightly above average three-point shooter that is uh, struggling mightily so far to start this season. He's shooting 16.7% on 12 attempts. He's made two of them. Not to go back to a point we were talking about, but it's kind of the issue the Lakers have in that they have a lot of these guys who defenses don't really worry about. Um, They don't close out hard to a Patrick Beverly. Like, they're aware of him, but if he catches the ball and open, there's not this like, oh no type of reaction. And I think to a certain extent, defenses are going to dare the Lakers to make three pointers and beat them that way. So it's kind of a, 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 again, catch 22 of the Lakers have all these good, this good process, these open shots, but it's also a matter of if, those are open shots because the defense wants them to be open. Now they're still underperforming on those shots. Like if you look at um, they've had 20 wide, or open three-pointers, according to NBA's tracking data, and they've shot 10% on them. They've had 38 wide-open ones, and they've shot 29% on them. Um, last season, the Thunder were the worst three-point shooting team, and even they shot – on open threes and 34% on wide open ones to give you context of how bad the Lakers are shooting. There's going to be positive regression, but this is just a roster that is full of guys that aren't natural shooters. And I don't think this is what the roster is going to look like for uh, certainly the rest of the season. And I don't know that it'll be many more weeks before they make a trade, but uh, the, the, as currently constructed, this Lakers Team is just going to be dared to make three Pointers Patrick Beverly is going To have to start knocking them down I would say Russ he's just not going to do That uh, other guys are going to have to start knocking Them down but I think you saw um, A bit of that on Friday in the way that the Clippers Defended the Lakers And that they're kind of daring the a lot Of the guys to beat them from deep And especially right now with the Lakers Just in a collective shooting slump That's how things are going to continue to go
0: You know, it's funny with Pat that you said he's struggling to start the season, uh, at least as far as shooting goes. Because to Clipper fans, that is nothing new. His starts to seasons are, like, as far as shooting the three ball, has always been very, uh, like, just poor, like, very bad. Uh, For his career, 30 games in October, Pat Beverly, 33% three-point shooter. In November, 78 games in his career, 35% 35% three point shooter. But you get to December, January, and February, and March 38, 39, 38, 39.5%. Like, it's like one of the running jokes with Pat with the Clippers, as far as like people who covered the team, was like when December first came around, you knew Pat Beverly was gonna start making like 40% of his threes. And it was always very strange uh, that like he always got off to slow starts. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, I don't think it's a playing into shape thing. I just think it, like it might be getting up to speed as far as like offense goes, but yeah, it's um, it, it hasn't been good shooting so far for him and for the team as a whole. But like we've talked about, I, I think generally they'll figure that part out. It can't continue this bad because if it continued this bad, it would be the worst shooting team by a mile. And I like in the history of the NBA, and I don't think they're the worst shooting team in the history of the NBA to be quite like, honest about it. Um, unfortunately, but as far
1: as the are... well, one thing, unfortunately, by the time Pat Bev becomes a, a good three-point shooter, the Lakers might be out of the play-in race, even in December.
0: Well, at least they'll still get some threes up, you know? There's always that possibility. Um, but as far as the Clippers are concerned, uh, they did win the game, obviously. Uh, Kawhi, which I guess was the big story of the night, uh, first game since the second round of the 2021 playoffs and surprisingly comes off the bench, which he, you know, was the first time since November 10th, 2013 that Kawhi Leonard uh, came off the bench in a game. So you almost went 10 years without this happening and post game Kawhi did say it was his choice and then also said it was a collective decision. So, I'm pretty sure it was a collective decision by everyone to have it be Kawhi's choice. And that's how we got to where we're at. So Kawhi came off the bench. He checked in around midway through the second quarter. Uh, I believe the Clippers were up by 12 at the time. He comes in immediately gets a rebound, sprints down the court, pulls up from the left elbow, splashes home a jumper. Next possession comes right down, hits another jumper. And you're like, Oh my God, like he's here. And then it happened like he, we knew this would happen because in preseason, he looked this way. His first stint, he looked tired. He looked he looked like he was laboring a little bit, which is to be expected. He, Like I said, he looked that way in the preseason. In the both preseason games that he played, which he only played in the first half of both games, the first quarter, he always looked a little bit like, not that he was hesitant, but that he was trying to get the game speed kind of worked out. Second quarter, he would turn like, you know, he would turn it on. And you're like, oh my God, Kawhi's here. That actually happened in this game because the second quarter, he looked like he was kind of laboring. He then actually starts the third quarter and looks great. Like it looked like Kawhi was back. Uh, he then finished the, the game by playing the final eight minutes. So he played 21 minutes on the night, 14 points, seven rebounds, two assists. This is the first time we've seen Kawhi Leonard in like 18 months. Um, what did you think of him? And... What do you kind of think of him just actually coming off the bench to at least get, you know, some minutes under him?
1: Yeah, even when they said he was coming off the bench, I just thought, oh, well, he'll be the sixth man in halfway through the first quarter or something. I did not expect them to play like 15, 18 minutes before he even checked into the game. Um, He was
0: the 11th guy to check in, by the way, just to keep it clear. He was the 11th clipper to check in. So he wasn't even the top 10 option.
1: Yeah, which is wild. But. I mean, maybe not, shouldn't have been a surprise because he's always been very aware of uh, his uh, his body and injuries and uh, prevention and things like that. So, but once he got out there, like you could see the Kawhi of old. Like there were moments, like you said, even just right away coming into the game, knocking down those mid range shots. Like that looked like Kawhi. Um, there's obviously a lot of whatever the basketball equivalent of ring rust is, uh just going out there. You you can't replicate game reps. Uh so there's just going to be a lot of that even past this game for the first probably couple of weeks of the the season just shaking that off, getting back into rhythm. Um but yeah, I mean, my overarching thought was that he looked a lot like Kawhi. Like there were there were minutes or moments when he's still like, like I think back to the, the Russ play or the play Russ had against him late where like he had a weird kind of travel where you, it to me, it looked like he was just kind of trying to think too much rather than play, which again, those are the types of things you maybe expect a little bit after having however many months it ended up being, he was off. Um You expect him to, to maybe have hiccups like that, but yeah, he looked like Kawhi <laughs> like he, uh, he looked really good. Um, and you can kind of understand uh, why everybody sees this team as a, a, favorite, because once you get Kawhi back to uh, full speed with the lineup and the roster that, that they have, like it's good. <laughs> it's going to be really good, obviously. And um, he, he, I mean, specifically to this matchup, this this Clippers team is built to just destroy the Lakers with the amount of wings they have. So um, he always seems to play well against the Lakers in that regard, too. So, yeah, my overarching thought was that, like, for, well, I mean, obviously I'm happy Kawhi's back because he's just a fun player to watch. He's a fun guy uh, to watch. (laughs) And so I'm glad that he's back. I'm glad that he's recovered from his injury. Um, and I'm glad the game has back one of its best players and I'm excited to see him kind of shake off that rust and, and get back to a full Kawhi form because he's, he's truly like a one of one, uh, with the way he plays. And hopefully this was the first step in that direction. Uh, I, is he expected to, to continue coming off the bench like this though? Like how long is that going to go? So, uh, in post game, both Ty
0: and Kawhi basically hinted that he would be coming off the bench for a little bit until he's comfortable with a minute's workload that kind of rivals what a starting player would have. Um, Kawhi had a comment post game about how first game back from an ACL tear, you don't want to just ramp right up to 38 minutes because that's not good. <laughs> Uh, for building up, you know, your conditioning, and it's not good for building up the ligament. Like he specifically mentioned ab- about building up the ligament and talking to doctors about it. The team, I-, I very much believe the team is going to be cautious about this. I, I think m- maybe it'll last two weeks. Maybe it could last a month, but it wouldn't shock me to see this be a thing where, like, ten games into the season. You know, Ka- Kawhi's still coming off the bench, and he's playing. You know, like twenty eight minutes a night, but you know he he doesn't start because he doesn't want to kind of impede the rotational choices that Ty has to make. I mean, PG played thirty six minutes. I don't think Kawhi's ready for thirty six minutes right now. Uh, Zoo played thirty five. I don't think Kawhi's ready for that. I think he's about. I think last night he actually probably went over his minutes limit. I think it was probably around like maybe eighteen to twenty but because the game was close and there was an opportunity to bring him back in at the eight minute mark, they, they brought him back then. So um, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch for, uh, for instance, uh, by the time people are listening to this, it's a Saturday morning. Um, Kawhi and John wall, who we'll get to in a minute. uh, They're both not playing the game Saturday night in Sacramento uh, because they also, the team also has a game Sunday night, which is a home game. It's the Clippers home opener. That'll be against Phoenix. So those two are not going to play against Sacramento. Neither of them are going to play back to backs. Uh I don't think Kawhi's playing a back-to-back for the rest of his career, just to be completely honest <laughs> about it. I don't have any, I don't have like any, you know, insight on that, but I, I would just venture a guess. I don't think he plays a back-to-back ever again. Um, as far as John's concerned, I think this is just a restriction thing to kind of keep him building back to a workload that he can kind of shoulder. But it wouldn't shock me if for the first three months of this season, John wall also doesn't play back to backs, um, which kind of puts the Clippers depth a little bit weird. If you're having to rest two guys, like two key rotation pieces every couple games. But I guess if there's a team that can handle it, it should be this team. Uh, PG wasn't that good offensively in this game. He had 15 points, but he was four or 12 from the field. I thought he looked kind of bad offensively to be perfectly honest, but he did everything else really well. Uh, the two two or three stars of this game for the Clippers, at least in my opinion, I think zoo was the best player on the floor, which sounds crazy in a game when three guys for the Lakers scored at least 20 points, but, but it, it felt like zoo had the biggest impact of any player when he was on the floor. And then John, John wall and Luke Kennard. I think Luke Kennard was really good. Uh, John was really good at getting tempo for the Clippers and getting them easy shots. Uh, and also getting into the mid range when, uh, Defenders would go under the screen action between him and Zoo. Um, But I came away from this game really impressed with Zoo. And I don't know, I I think this was a one-game thing where, like, I don't think the Lakers, as you mentioned, are a good matchup for the Clippers, even with Zoo on the floor. Um, But it seemed a little different for Zoo. It didn't seem, he, he didn't seem out of place. He actually seemed very under control. He didn't seem like he was rushed defensively he was incredible he had five blocks numerous other contests uh he he challenged an anthony davis baseline jumper and davis came up short on it um career high 17 rebounds also had 14 points this was probably the best game of zoo's career on both ends of the floor combined in, in, in one outing and i'm being honest i think he might be their third most important player this year because he's their only seven footer man and they cannot afford this guy for this guy to get injured and I think Ty is going to ride him for like 30 minutes a night because the whole talk has been about, you know, the Clippers playing small ball, but zoo is probably getting 30 minutes a night because Ty is going to have him play with bench lineups just to give them rim protection. And I kind of want your thoughts. Like zoo's a former Laker. So I, I kind of want to get your thoughts. Like you saw zoo in his early days with the Lakers and you see where he is now. I actually asked this question to Kawhi last night. So I'm curious to get your Opinion, Like, what have you seen out of Zoo's maturation over that entire process?
1: This is sticking a knife into my heart and twisting it repeatedly. uh, Because, shockingly, Mike Muscala did not make the same level of impact with the Lakers that Zubats has with the Clippers. Um, It's just a... Kind of a feel and a comfort level that he has that he didn't have early on with the Lakers, which was to be expected. Um, maybe a confidence level too. Like the zoo that was out there uh, Friday, or excuse me, Thursday, uh he knew he belonged on the floor with those guys. And – the zoo that played early on with the Lakers, not that he ever doubted himself, but like you don't go into those games with the same level of confidence that you do now. Uh, I think he's very comfortable in his role and what's being asked of him. And he knows how good he is. He knows his value to the team in general. He just played with a a level of comfort and confidence that, I mean, it is, it is enjoyable to see. I, I don't doubt that, or I don't, uh, discredit that at all. It just hurts to see because, uh, every time Lakers fans watch him, especially against the Lakers and in a game like this, where yeah, there's a case for him being the best player on the floor, 17 rebounds, uh, he was all over the place. He was so, so damn good. And it's like, um, just thinking back to like the most inexplicable trade Zach Lowe said this on his podcast recently he said it was one of the five most inexplicable trades he only said recent memory I don't know what type of timeline you would put on it but like you guys might have like waved Mike Muscala and the Lakers traded a key piece not just for their team or their young core, but like he's become, like you said, one of the more most important pieces for a Western conference favorite just a couple of years later. So it hurts to watch it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's so good and it, it is nice to see him kind of blossom into this, um, into this guy who's fluid, comfortable, kind of in his size, comfortable in his frame and just knows what he's doing out there. And is um, he's really damn good at it. So the five blocks is, I don't know how good he's been defensively for you guys. That wasn't like, he wasn't bad defensively with the Lakers, but he wasn't getting five blocks. Um, So that part, if that I, he's obviously not going to average five blocks a game, but if he brings that level of defense, um, something close to it this season as well. Like that's just another added dimension that is going to make them really tough. He is the only seven footer, but he's also really damn good too. So like uh, he's going to play a lot and he's going to be relied upon a lot. So part of me is really happy to see zoo at this level and playing like this, but it's never not going to hurt watching, watching him, not just, excel for another team but like excel for the clippers that hurts that's always going to hurt
0: so so you and Kawhi are in agreement by the way you mentioned confidence uh Kawhi post game said that zoo's gotten and this was his exact quote uh he got so much smarter and confident uh just even playing against him when i wasn't on the team he sees coverages now he's guarded the ad's the MBs so he kind of knows their move moves and he's getting smart at getting in those positions Or, excuse me, he's smart at getting in those positions. So, like, Kawhi sees it. I think a lot of people are starting to see it. The other thing was that Ty challenged him to get more offensive rebounds this year because he knows that teams are going to switch smaller defenders on him uh, because of the Clippers' wings and, like, how much switching is prevalent across the league now. So, to see him get six offensive rebounds, including quite a few crucial ones, uh, was very nice to see if you're a supporter of the Clippers but I guess I'll just end by saying this Ty post game said that this was a quote nasty game. And I do not disagree with him. This was not a good game to watch. Um, The Clippers shot 46%, which sounds great. And the Lakers shot 35%, which is obviously not good, but the Clippers turned the ball over 23 times. They only shot 31% from three. The Lakers shot 20%. The Clippers missed 11 free throws. Um, This, this had all the makings when you watch this game, of, absolutely it was the first week of the nba and everyone was just trying to understand how basketball worked again so
1: you know <laughs> i hey, will, there, I will this- also say that like i feel like a lot of these lakers clippers games end up being ugly games um i'd agree yeah i i don't know if it's a matchup thing or um uh, the budding rivalry it's become but i mean a lot of these games get kind of ugly especially like when the teams are at full strength was which has only happened like a very small amount of times that you have PG, Kawhi, LeBron, and AD all out there. Those games are the ones that typically end up looking ugliest.
0: Yeah, actually it's kind of funny you mentioned that because now that now that I think about it, yeah, like when all four of them are out there, it, it hasn't been the cleanest brand of basketball that the
1: NBA showcased the world at this point. So I mean it also like to that I mean, if you're thinking about it, they've opened the season against each other a couple of times. One of them and the bubble. Yeah, I was gonna say one of them was to open the bubble as well. So like, they don't exactly put them in these advantageous positions to fluid basketball. But I remember like that the Christmas game that I don't remember it being particularly pretty either. So I don't know what it is about these two teams playing, but uh, it never looks necessarily great. I wonder.
0: I, I, I kind of wonder like mentally if it's a comfort thing because technically they're both home. So I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they also get like their own heads about, I don't know. It's also basketball. Who the hell knows anymore? The sports weird. the Utah jazz are two and oh man.
1: Danny Ainge is going to trade to the whole team they're not tanking the way he wants them to. <laughs> Danny Ainge is going to find a way for them to lose their
0: next 80 games and just just completely maximize their odds. Um, Jacob, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Where can people find you, find your work, find your tweets, all the good stuff?
1: Well, if for some reason you're a Clippers fan and want to follow me, (laughs) um, it's just at Jacob Rude on Twitter. I, I write for silver screen and roll. Um, that's where all my Lakers work will be. Uh, There might be a better chance that you guys care about IU at locked on Hoosiers more than you care about the, uh, the Lakers, but i'll try to do an eric gordon episode do clippers fans like eric gordon he was good for him right
0: yeah they still like eric gordon i think it's like it's like one of their like fond memories
1: yeah so i'll do an eric gordon episode for all you guys coming over to watch next week
0: uh the next clipper laker game will be november 9th um that will be a clipper home game that's also an espn game because god knows every laker clipper game has to be nationally broadcast for the world to see this crap All right, buddy. It's been fun. I'll talk to you later. I hope you have a good night.
1: Yep, thank you.